The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. It's brought to you in association with Levi Solicitors who will offer you a 10% discount on your legal fees. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. That is on services for you personally and for your business as well. Here with, with Moscow White in the studio, there's, there's an empty chair between us that stare longingly at the empty chair. Who is going to talk about the big three? Michael. Me. There he Me. is. there. Look. I'm going to do it, aren't I, from here? From my home, all stood up and that. Why are you yeah. at home stood up? Explain. Broke my back, Anna. That's not quite true. It's a bit dramatic. Me. I've slipped a disc in my back and sitting down um, is very painful. So I'm uh, I'm doing this from home so I can remain stood up. The good news from our point of view is that this injury was not incurred at work and therefore we don't need to talk to Levi Solicitors about it. No negligence was there involved. No. Although we are booking you in for a call with HR. There is a meeting next week with HR to address your absence. That's okay. HR being yeah. me in Moscow. We need a doctor's note, don't we? We do. Some kind of evidence. <laughs> Michael, say the thing about the 15%. You can get 15% off, can't you, on the big three? If uh, you listen to Phil Hay, Monday Club, you did one of them, didn't you? We did on Tuesday. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so who's so who's been shirking now, eh? You, just because it was your birthday. Pathetic. Anyway, yeah, 15% off Will's probate conveyancing for a limited time. Have a watch or listen to the Monday Club for details of that. I'd say it's lovely to have you back, Michael, but it's not really. Just grim, to- grim tolerance. How did you consume our relegation? Because this is the relegation special, ta-da, closing out the... Uh, the season with this. Talk us through it from your point of view, Normanton. I was laid in bed, wasn't I? It was quite relaxing in a way because we let Spurs score nice and early. So that just took all the tension out of the game, didn't it? It was just like, ah, okay, lovely. Just sit here and enjoy the rest of this. Second half, I think, to be honest, it was one of those where I was looking at my phone for half of it because you just sort of, the game's gone, aren't it? Nothing was happening. I think as soon as that sec- as soon as there were no changes and then Spurs scored straight away at the start of the second half, it was just boring, wasn't it? Just waiting for the season to end, which is what I feel like I've been doing for quite some time. Scrooge is in the comments saying it was a fitting end to the season. Uh, can I say F words on this show? I believe so. Flipping rubbish is what he said. Now, fucking rubbish. You knew that was coming. Chernobyl was less of a disaster than these last two years. Seal me up in concrete and stay two miles away. There you go. It's been a, a poor end to the season. It's been a poor season. I think everyone's a bit tired and that is reflected in the feedback we've had from our TSB Plus members. We're going to hear from them throughout these shows just to let us know how they are down on relegation. The last few months I felt like a relationship that you know is kind of coming to the end. And I felt a lot of relief Sunday afternoon and then by Sunday night it was kind of regrets of the things that could have been and missing it and then come to the realisation that Come the end of the summer bowl, I'll be ready to start again, but with a heap of drift issues. Ah, it's fucking clever. I guess that just summed up the season, didn't it? Fucking hell, we're terrible. I mean, just useless. It's like watching pinball. When you bring in on Furpo with 20 minutes to go to try and save the game, like, ah, just can only hope that next year some of these kids get a chance. Archie Gray, get back some of the lone players, see how we can do. But eh, let's just take the summer off and have a rest, eh? And give ourselves, uh, before we all have a heart attack. Oh, and one last thing. Uh, Dan, happy birthday for tomorrow for both of us. Oh, what a debacle. This is my fourth relegation. What is wrong with this club? This club is in the top five or six clubs size-wise in England, and it's global. This is just inexcusable. Anyway, back to my whiskey, Johnny Walker Red. Fuck me. You know, it's been coming all season, really. You know, relegation's been on the cards for a long time now. Still pisses you off when it happens, but 
there's that sense of apathy and burn it all down and with ones that are left to pick it back up again in the championship. Just what a waste of everything we achieved under Bielsa. Terrible. My first Leeds United memory is the 75 European Cup final. And at seven years old, I remember the hot tears of impotent rage pouring down my cheeks as I asked my town-supporting dad why and shouting, it's not fair. And it's been downhill ever since, to be honest, with a few highlights. Yes, I'm not even that bothered, really, to be honest. In comparison, it's uh, just more of the same. But still, what a fucking season, eh? There you go. What a season, eh? Where does this sit in your all-time list of disappointments? It was interesting, the guy who mentioned that we've had four relegations, or he's been through four relegations. is an interesting one, because before the weekend, I looked at, I compared us to Norwich. So we've been relegated four times since 1960. Norwich have been relegated six times since we were last relegated in 2004 from the Premier League. So I wonder how it feels as a, as a Norwich fan. First of all, knowing that you had Luciano Becchio at your club and you never saw the best of him, that was great. But whether that is a better or worse feeling than being relegated six times in the last 20 years, do you just get used to it? I think with us only being, I know we, we went down to League One, which was a, a historical first, we'd never done that. It's unusual for us to be relegated. It just doesn't feel that way. <laughs> How does it sit in your list of all-time disappointments? I, I tend to lean into the, this one has barely scratched the surface compared to, I mean, most of our failure has been failure trying to get up again, hasn't it? When you mm. think about it, like playoff disappointments, things like that, losing in cup semifinals or even finals sometimes. And oddly, that's something I was kind of looking forward to when I was thinking about it this morning, that if we do go down to the, well, if we got, we got, we are going down to the championship. <laughs> don't know if you've heard. Yeah, apparently that's the news. If we don't come straight back up, presumably we'll have some kind of attempt at promotion. I don't think we're going famous last words straight through down to League One again. And we didn't last time. It took a while. But, you know, if we don't go up next season, then the season after is another promote. And a promotion push is exciting, isn't it? But are they ultimately more upsetting if you don't achieve them than relegation? I don't know. Where, where does like losing to Doncaster in the playoffs compared to what happened this weekend. I mean, that was my dad's birthday, by the way, that one, I think. If it wasn't that one, it was, the, it was definitely the Watford one, one of the two. We've, we've been blessed by it. We're having late, uh, late May birthdays and similarly with you, Michael, as well. Uh, where does this sit with you? Oh, it's fine, isn't it? It's been coming for so long. It wasn't. I think the fact it wasn't a relegation battle made it easier to take. I think it had been harder to go down last year. I'd have been more upset by that because it felt like we, we were in with a chance on the last day, whereas this, it was... It, it's just come in for such a long time. It, it's weird that it was still in our hands, really, at West Ham, because it that feels so long ago now that it, I don't know, it's almost not entered into my mind that we did have we did have it in us to fix this because we haven't looked like we had it in us to fix it since half time at Crystal Palace. It's just been absolutely miserable for the for the past month or so, hasn't it? So we don't really do relegation battles, do we? We just we just go down. Well, if you think about the, I mean, I don't remember the obviously the, the first one, but I remember 2004 and then down to League One. Both of those cases, we just we just kind of went. It didn't feel like there was a real clinging on or anything. And obviously, by the time we went to League One, we also did it with a, a massive points deduction as well. So, I think had we made a fist of it, like if you were if you're in the situation of Leicester, you're probably more upset by this after the weekend because at some point they looked like they were staying up and then they didn't. Whereas we, early intention, nope. 
put our hands up, we'll say, yeah, we'll, we'll be the first to go down today. Don't worry about it. You, you just fight it out between yourself. <laughs> Plus as well with how long it took to get relegated, it's kind of one of the big fears of coming up to the Premier League was that we just end up like Norwich or some mid-table also ranks who maybe turn into a yo-yo club and just become another run-of-the-mill club. And that was kind of how I felt when we sacked Bielsa was like, well, that's it now. From now on, we just get normal managers and we just have normal players playing normal football. And it's kind of, we either win or we lose. And it's like, it's a bit meh. We'd lost something that kind of marked us as separate to the Premier League humdrum, at least made us give us something that stood apart, that we were doing something different. So I was probably a lot of the frustration and the anger of like kind of what the club was about to become, I probably got through on my angry walk from the Spurs game to drinking in the station to then going home. It sounds very dramatic, but it felt like relegation. And you probably saw more people crying around Elland Road and up at Thorpe Arch on the day Bielsa was sacked and the days afterwards than you did when we were relegated, which maybe says something about him, but then also says something about how um, I think for a lot of people, what has happened since kind of felt possible from that moment. And so now it's come to pass. It's kind of like, well, yeah, um, I did all this. I think um, as well, part of it is maybe, and it's touched upon in the clips there, about how we view ourselves. And I think I've spoken before about this, about the idea that because of how Leeds United have kind of sawtoothed, rollercoasted up and down through the divisions across the years, and we've, we've flirted with real success. Obviously, we won the league. We did the Champions League thing and we were title contenders, you know, 20, 25 years ago, whatever it might have been. So, oh, well, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Champions League run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So each generation as it's passed has had something within its recent living memory to think we should be doing a lot better than this. So it's set the bar quite high. And the person on the clip there who was saying, you know, potentially top five or six in the country and we've got a global appeal. That's kind of, it's all legacy stuff is that, isn't it? Now versus the reality of the Premier League. And I think we've kind of butted up against the reality of it. We've, we've found that. Yeah, the reality of Leeds is that there are people, when we were promoted, who had never seen Leeds play in the Premier League because they weren't born. And, you know, I think I need to do the maths, but yeah, in my lifetime, Leeds have been in the second or third division more than they've been in the, the top tier. Same, yeah. And so it's um, we're coming a lot further away. And I think that's part of um, some of the pressure at the club is that assumption that, we belong at the top and the more that time goes by the more that the the seasons stack up when we're not even in the top division the harder it becomes to make that argument in a way that means anything to anybody apart from to ourselves and there's probably I mean we are the club that won the European Cup in 1975 in our imaginations but expects everybody to behave as if that is true. Is it not? <laughs> well, exactly. So it's, yeah. you know... The, it's... The bar, always, my dad always says it when I'm chatting to my dad in Ellen Road, talking about this. And it's, it's just like, I've seen the best team in the world. I grew up watching the best team in the world. And then we won the league title again in the 90s. And then, you know, we did the Champions League thing. And it's just seeing it fall off to such an extent, as you say, passing time. And even okay. if you take it over the hundreds and what is it now, 104 years in total, you know, the first... Like one of the things when I wrote a book, <clears throat> Hundred Years of Leeds United, out, out of date now, isn't it? Available on our website. No, no, it's still very much in date. It it ends on a happy note, so it's probably never been a better a better time to buy it if you want some cheering up. 
But um, one of the things I wanted to do with that was find out what actually happened before Don Revy took over the club because one was the, apart from the John Charles story that everybody knew about, the main standard burnt down with all the club records inside it. So there was very little information about that period around. And, and you just made it up though, didn't you? That's what you were saying to us before. It was, yeah, just got it all off Wikipedia. And, but there was before, up until 1962 when Don Revy took over and 1964 when we got into the first division. Didn't win, didn't win a damn thing. We were a yo-yo club in the 20s. We were sort of mid-table, I guess we were a little bit Crystal palace now in the 1930s when we're like getting a good young team together and might do something. But then Second World War happened and then post-war, basically nothing, trying to get out of Division 2 for years. So the periods of time when Leeds United have been as good as we think they are and have been the club that we all think they are, are quite brief. Like the 10 years, 1964 to 1974, and then Wilkinson, 89 to, like if you say his glory was 92. So three years, three seasons, and then the Champions League era, that two seasons when we were really good. And the rest of the time it has probably been well, before Revy, nobody gave a toss, really. Nobody cared about Leeds having a good football team. It didn't matter. And then the rest of the time from Revy leaving until probably now is people going, how do we get back to what Revy did here? It's all um, it's all kind of untapped potential, isn't it? The way I view Leeds United is that we have so much capability and we're constantly striving to be better and making arguments towards the owners and the board and the executives or whoever it might be that things should be better than you are serving up for us. Well, that's the other thing is like what I'm talking about there was the league status, but we've always been one club city in one of the biggest cities in the whole United Kingdom. And, you know, if Manchester can have two clubs at the top of the Premier League, we should surely be able to manage one somewhere near it. Mm. Um, and uh, what that would mean if somebody could actually pull it off, if we could have the 60,000 capacity stadium, if we could have the global brand recognition that Andrea Radrizzani thought cartoon saluting badge was going to deliver. The, then, head, the headless figure. Yep. Then it would make a very big difference to the club. And it's all there to be done. Like it should be pretty easy to make Leeds United as good as we as fans imagine it to be and think it should be. Just some people seem to have a very good knack of making it look really difficult. Where's our natural home then, Michael? And where would our fan base be happy being, do you think? I think that's why it's important we had a little taste of the Premier League again and a, a new generation has got to have a little a little go of it as well because I feel like for for a long time under Bates and Chilino there was a shrinking of the club and it was almost pushed upon us that this was acceptable that okay well the South stand shut the East stand up is shut we don't sell that many season tickets yes it's expensive you need to be grateful for what you've got here I do think it's important that we've had a little glimpse of of the promised land here so we can at least so now there's maybe a a higher standard of accountability for for people and people will hopefully demand that because part of the depressing thing in those years was that the number of people who would essentially support the idea that it was fine to be in League One, it was fine to be in the Championship and it, it never was as far as I was concerned and it felt like there was always potential there for us to get out and when we did get out, there was potential for us to go much bigger and it seemed for we were going to do that for a little bit, didn't it? But it was a mirage it, as it turned out but I mean I will say the comparison to the 2004-2007 relegations this is a completely different scenario we've not got the complete meltdown we had in those 
in those years. Coming down from the Premier League the first time, we'd already sold half the good players. It was clear anyone who was left who was saleable would be sold and the money for them would essentially just disappear into a black hole. Likewise, going down to League One, it was with administration attached and Bates still taking over and points deductions and all this sort of stuff. So it was there was never a, any real cause for optimism for after either of those relegations. Whereas this, we don't need to make it another period in the wilderness. We can just come straight back up. We can be, in this scenario at least, we can be Norwich. Yeah, we'll kind of get on to um, what comes next, I think, because that is part of the big question about how this how this feels. Uh, we'll do that in due course. However, to reflect on on this season, Jake has sent us, uh, sent us a really handy metaphor. I have been a Leeds fan since 2006, I know. Terrific timing. And this season has somehow ended up being one of the least enjoyable, including all the championship and all the League One years. It's as if Bielsa and the promotion team built this, this beautiful cake with delightful finishings and just a great taste. And over the last two years, the board has taken their turn taking shit all over the fucking cake. And now we're standing here two years later with this shit-filled cake and the board of directors is looking at the fans like, we don't know who did this. Who shit on the cake? And everyone's looking at them like, you shit on the cake. It was you. No one wants these fucking toppings. A big, great big cake of shit. Jake needs to find a new baker, doesn't he? (laughs) I'd say so. He's being ripped off. (laughs) Is it a big cake of shit? I've reflected on this. Is the is the metaphor fully accurate? Um, I wonder if they went to the shop and bought something that they were told was icing. They said told the rest of us it was icing. But when they wanged it on the cake, it turned out to not to be icing. It maybe was a bit a bit whiffy. Is is that anywhere near a passable metaphor? <laughs> Victor also can't tell the difference between cake and shit. <laughs> cake and shit. Is that what was is that the basic <laughs> argument? I mean, to say it's one of the worst years he's right I mean I'm just looking down a list now of Leeds United seasons and seven wins you have to go back to 1947 for a season with with fewer wins in it so it's pretty depressing isn't it I know I know the level matters but the the reason League One was fun sometimes was that we won most weeks and for context 1947 it was 46-47 talking about that's the first year after the Second World War when um, a large number of the squad had uh, died in the war and others were eight years older and had been, were injured from fighting. And then there was a bunch of kids and they put um, Willis Edwards in charge at the start of the season, who uh, was kind of a sentimental appointment. Knows, it was a classic knows the club kind of thing. And then within a month, they were trying to get rid of him. So it's one of the all-time absolute worst seasons in Leeds United's history for all, for lots of reasons. They just did a very good job, of a very bad job, sorry, of coming back after wartime. That's about the level that we've managed to achieve in 2023. Yeah. I wonder what Big Sam would have done in that situation. It's defenders. Yeah. Although we did get the old big shit cake, if we are going to run with this one, at least they did have the foresight to build in the wage drops into contracts because as Michael was saying earlier on, we're not on the edge of a cliff, I don't think. You know, there are obviously a lot of transfer fees due in the next 12, 24 months. And we'll, well, I guess we can move forward and talk about Radrazani's takeover of... Sampdoria, because that's that's the big looming thing, isn't it? Is what comes next. Well, I think the position we're in is kind of a weird double-edged sword because you'd think if we'd push the boat out maybe and sign some more players, then we wouldn't be in this mess. But the mess that we are in 
because we haven't done those kind of things. You know, we weren't risking, and it's kind of annoying that I haven't got away with it, but with that half-built stadium on the dock that's going to cost them half a billion and the players, like their FFP, um, the, you know, there's a head's breadth between them and um, points deductions and fines and all the stuff going on. On the one hand, the club has been run well enough to steer clear of all those things, but then, uh, and so we're in a, a pretty decent position for going down. But then on the other side of that is that maybe if there had been a bit riskier, maybe we wouldn't be getting relegated now if the boat had been pushed out further. But then uh, the third hand is £35 million for Jorginho Rutter. Feels like one of those, maybe if we just carried on doing that, that's the thing. If we, like a bunch of those kind of signings really would would have really would have sunk us. That does look like a, a big uh, tanking the club purchase. So on the one hand, if we'd bought more £35 million players like Rodrigo de Paul, maybe we would have been, uh, we'd have a better team. But if, if we'd bought lots of £35 million players and they'd all been Jorginho Rutter, then things would be even worse. But yeah, I guess the, the situation we're in, they've, and that caution as well, whether it was like, any, the goalposts seemed to move, but it was, you know, the percentage chance of going down in the first two years then became the percentage chance, the risk of going down in the first three. Running the club with that in mind does at least mean that we're landing in the championship with the potential to become Norwich. Um, and that's probably that's it's it's the sense and it's also the pain of it it's like when Victor Orta got a lot of grief a while ago for saying in one of his last interviews as while he was working for Leeds that qualifying for the conference league now would be as big an achievement as getting to the semi-finals of the Champions League was and it felt like that it's a real you know it's part of what we've been talking about so far it's all kind of pin in the balloon of our pride but it's probably also quite true that the outlooks for us you know we're, we're relegated from the Premier League but it's not like we were, we're losing the chance to of winning it which is what we lost when we got relegated in 2004 two seasons before we'd been in the Champions League semi-final we'd been top of the league in the calendar year it was the calendar year 2000 wasn't it where if the season had run January to December we would have waltzed the league ahead of Arsenal and scum and other like really strong teams at the time so it felt at that point like we'd, we'd somehow gone from the opportunity to be champions to the championship whereas now it's a little bit like we've gone from the opportunity of being Crystal Palace and finishing 12th or Aston Villa and getting in the conference league to the championship so it's it's part of that pro- and with the the condition that the club appears to be in and with the parachute payments and with without a transfer uh, market collapse that did uh, that just ruined Peter Ridsdale if you listen to his version of the story um, around us with a lot of players who should be worth enough money to keep us to cover the future transfer fees and all that kind of stuff it's been it's been sensibly run uh, down yeah added to the point it's either a, yeah the, the cure or the cause one of the two isn't it Villa's an interesting example actually just looking at the table because yeah they got in the conference league and they have scored almost they're on 61 points we were on 31 twice as many points as us over the course of the season they were below us when they sacked Gerard. Mm. goes to show what um what decision making and well, poor decision making where it leads you it's mad as well and I always use Villa as the example as well I mean they hired Gerard in the first place yeah so they're not that bright where do you sit on Radwazani and the ownership Michael and the, the whole Sampdoria thing as we speak on it's Wednesday lunchtime as we record this we know that that deal has gone through at their end but we still had not a single word about Leeds I think the um 
the relegation obviously has tarnished his legacy anyway, as of the the way the things have generally been run. But his complete disappearance as we go down, I think, is is what most people will end up remembering him for. Which is, in some ways, it's a shame for him because you can point to several things he did that were very good. But to have completely disappeared now, I mean, to to look at the statements I was digging out from last year when we stayed up, his name was all over the statement on the website, and there were promises about um, you know improving the squad and delivering the performances we deserve, and you know we're not we're going to be not doing this again essentially this year. There's a nameless statement on there saying, sorry about that. And it doesn't quite cut it. And it feels like he's the man who will, like, he's happy to bring out the trophy onto the pitch. He's happy to be at Salem Chapel putting his plaque up with his name on. But then when stuff's gone wrong, where is he? He's in Genoa trying to buy another club. And it feels like he has, he has essentially washed his hands of us this year, which is fine, but do it properly and hand out, give ownership over to someone else because this is. I think this has hampered us this season in general is the, the split ownership thing. We saw in January the almost sale of Jack Harrison, the buying of Ruter, but with the, the fee pushed on for, for someone else to pay, essentially. And it feels like that has been an inoperable model for a club to have someone someone who knows they're getting out essentially committing to buy stuff that they're not going to have to pay for. Where do you sit on the 49ers, Moscow? And is it time for them to break their silence? Or do you understand their silence given that they've been trying to deal with um, Andrea Radrazani, and as it stands at the minute, trying to complete a deal to buy Leeds. It seems like the current silence from everybody must, I hope, at least as a consequence of things happening. That because they're doing stuff, nobody can talk about stuff. And them not being at the game on Sunday either. It's interesting, nobody was there. It's just Angus Kinnear is there. And whether it's everybody just felt that because we're between two ownerships and this is going on that it's, it's appropriate for nobody to be there that that's how it came about maybe I don't know they're going to have to if they're coming in they're going to have to start communicating and communicating quickly I'm prepared to give them the benefit of the doubt over the last few years because I wonder um, and it sounds like from the bits you hear about like stopping Jack Harrison being sold and all these kind of things that they perhaps regret not taking over sooner as well I think a lot goes I keep thinking of the end of season awards when we finished ninth when there was 10,000 people allowed into Elland Road and Ellie Goulding was there and there was the awards afterwards and Pete Lowry was there the 49ers were there um Radrick Zani's there everybody's doing they had the interviews set up outside the hall they had the, the squad look together you saw uh, Rafinha like was telling loads of jokes which I think was the first time we'd really because they'd all been hidden away during COVID you'd only really seen them play football and then you suddenly saw the players kind of being human yeah you saw them in the civvies and you're like oh like they they seem like a good a great bunch of lads and lots going on and I remember Pete Lowry in particular sort of sitting there doing talking about growing up as a Leeds fan in the 1970s in Australia and listening to commentaries on the transistor radio and everybody seemed really happy about everything and it seemed like there's so much um, you had the moment there where all the money is in the is in the building at once, and and we had Bielsa as well at that point, who was then apparently that summer is, is when he's saying it's change me or change the players' time, and how it went from this big that feels like an opportunity for somebody to say either Radrizzani to say right I've taken this as far as I can let's you guys take it from here or for the Forty Nineers Enterprises Enterprises to say we really think we can take this forward now. You need to go into a 
a more minor role. And then Bielsa to be saying, you need to do take these actions if we're going to build on finishing ninth. And this is how we, we go forward, whether it's with me or whether it's with somebody else and how you take the squad forward. And it seems like from that, they went to the sort of near 50-50 ownership with Radrizzani still in charge. And I wonder, and I kind of hope that Parag, Marate and Co and Pete Lowey are looking back at that moment and going, we should have just bought him out. But then, I but, suppose... but you also need to have somebody who's willing to sell. That's that's the other side to this, and it doesn't sound like he's necessarily right. been ready to give up the reins, does it? Let's say, perhaps they look back and wish he, had, yeah, it's the same thing. They yeah. wish he had been willing to sell. He hadn't been such a. I mean, we don't know if he was obstructive or not, but it's, it comes to the same thing. They will probably look back at that moment and wish there had been a way of buying him out instead of trying to do it now. When you hope he's, um, on the one hand, it's cheaper, so that's good. And if you bring it back to the Premier League, then your profits are going to be even bigger when you sell it on, if it all works out. But then, um, yeah, hopefully the process of buying from him now will be easier. Mm. If there's enough people around who still have in mind, you know, we were ninth, we can get back there. Very much so. And if it is a 49ers future, it will start next season by the looks of it. Here are some thoughts of TSB Plus members looking ahead to next year. We don't know... Who are going, who's going to be playing for us. We don't know who the coach is going to be. We don't know who the director of football is going to be. We don't even know who's going to own the bloody club. And already I see Leeds fans online shitting on the championship. And it just makes me think, seriously, guys, give it a week before we start pretending that we're any better than any of the teams down there. I feel like a dose of humility might actually help us bounce straight back up to the Premier League. And who knows, maybe even stay there this time. Someone please tell me I'm wrong. I just can't get on board with the hope I'm seeing on Twitter, particularly around players that we're going to retain. Let's say we entice Volver and Adams to stay. Even that assumption is flawed at the moment because we have no idea who's going to be in charge and what direction the club is going in from a football perspective. Tell me I'm wrong, but I can see at least 12 or 13 players out the gap. All right, lads. Still hungover. Jesus Christ. Talk is big sums in in discussions to stay on next year. And I'm telling you now, if we go into that season with Big Sam in charge and Bamford up top, we're finishing ninth at best, over and out. This can't come as a huge surprise. I mean, this isn't really shocking. You've been terrible for about a year and a half, and you guys have been talking for some time about how the club and players need kind of a reset. I kind of agree with that. A lot of those players look tired and beaten. Some of them look like they were never really interested in being there to begin with. And I got to say, you know... As much as we don't want to admit it, the championship has players that inspire us. Like, we'll have players like Botaka, who inspired Moscow to get a, a life-size face tattoo of him on his chest. It'll be good. We go again, Leeds. Sweet, sweet Jordan. <laughs> um, the hubris was one of the things mentioned right back at the start of that clip. I'm all for the hubris. Don't know about you. What do you reckon? It's, it's what makes football football, isn't it? I want us to go into that into that division swinging our dicks around saying, we're going to fill your grounds for you. We're going to walk this division. And if we don't, then people throw it back in our faces because that's what makes life interesting, doesn't it? I would like to back it up with actually building a good side as well, rather than just saying it. I mean, that is important to say. I did actually get a tweet from um, the Wolves account, Wolves fan cast, as soon as we were relegated, saying, what are you saying now? And I was like, eh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I was, I was disappointed with the lack of, uh, of blowback on it. We got a bit from, because I think when... Um, when Sheffield United went down two years ago, I tweeted out from the Square Ball account, off your pop then, something like that. 
And they got picked up on. And to be fair, you've got to credit them for holding on to that grudge for two years until they were up and we've gone down. And it's like, oh, well, it's only, it's only a tweet. It doesn't matter. I, I did I did the cowards thing and deleted it as well because I thought, I can't be arsed getting loads more of this. But uh, they even still, I just kind of went, ah, it's, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I don't really care. So I'm all for hubris. What about you, Moscow, and your Jordan Pataka tattoo? Um, I've not really been looking at Twitter, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but how do you feel about the championship? Do you look at it and you think we should be going into it and dominating that league or do, do we have to have a dose of humility or can the two coexist? I just think there's too many games. So I'll look at with the championship as I just see looming 46 fixtures uh, and that's what I hated about it before. I don't care who we play. I, I, I'm quite, you know, Plymouth will be interesting. There's, you know, we can sneer at local rivalries but what the hell, it's kind of fun playing Huddersfield, isn't it? Sheffield Wednesday coming up, the Barry Bannon reunion. There's a little bit more to it than you know, Man City coming round and seeming bored about just waltzing the league um, and angry about the FA complaining about them cheating. At least a rivalry with Huddersfield is kind of based on the fact that we're next door to each other. So it's a bit more tangible, but that's all fine. But what I've always really, really detested about the championship last time we were in, it was just the sheer number of games. It's relentless, it, isn't it? It yeah. just goes on and on and on too long. And, um, and things can drag, like, what really was painful about being in it before was getting to, like, middle of March and we can't go up and we can't go down and there's still three more months of the bastard thing to go. <laughs> That's the <laughs> thing that worries me more than than being laughed at by other clubs or, you know, losing to Plymouth away or something. That's fine. That's all football stuff. But just, like, three months of pointless matches in a, in the second tier is... Is no good whatsoever. It's different to three months of pointless give, matches in the Premier League, isn't it? Give us a good old-fashioned relegation battle if we can't go up. <laughs> that's what I say. It's those double game weeks where you've got, because occasionally you get two home games on the bounce, don't you? You've got like, you get, you're in March, there's nothing to play for. You're there on a Saturday and then you think, fucking hell, I've got to do this again on Tuesday. Just <laughs> <laughs> come, come and watch another meaningless game that the players aren't asked about and I'm not asked about. But but here we go, all the same. Everyone is kind of assuming though that it won't be nothingness. Everyone's assuming that there's going to be a challenge in there, aren't they? I mean, that, that's how I sort of generally read it. I mean, it should be. We spent years in there complaining how that we had no chance of getting out because everyone else had parachute payments. And other than that, we always had the biggest revenue pretty much, didn't we? We've The last set of accounts showed big all the big commercial revenues and stuff. A lot of that will stay. I know some of it won't, but you know, some of the some of the commercial benefits will, will hang around for a bit. So we've got that and we've got parachute payments. We've probably got going to have like the biggest turnover of any championship club ever more or less next season I would imagine because the ground will be sold out pretty much every week I would say if, if we're as long as things are going fairly well there is literally not an excuse next year just get up and stop being idiots about it yeah that's one thing I woke up thinking about this morning about Leeds United that we've been sold the line so often that everything is such a monumental struggle that we've started to believe it and we've started to kind of identify with that and think it is kind of baked into our identity and it's something I think when, when you spoke to Victor Rota maybe was it you spoke to him uh, Moscow when you did that interview or was it when we did the podcast with him either way it's words that have come out of his mouth when he was talking about Leeds fans and the the kind of the, the heavy shoulders and the idea that mm. we'll always fuck it up doesn't it doesn't genuinely have to be like yeah. that does it that's he, the thing we need to that, shed that then, shed that skin I remember, yeah he was saying that in the, the podcast that was the version podcast. of that he was yeah. talking about how he like yeah, it's it's handed down from grandfather to father to son that Leeds always um, mess it up at the end. And it's like, well, looks like they were right, Victor. Um, but the other side of that is, and I was thinking about it when um, 
I was listening to the Phil Hay Monday Club and you and him talking about how there's basically, there is just Angus Kinnear in the building now, although we do now know that Andrea Law, the furniture salesman who Massimo Mas- Cellino's wife took a liking to in Miami, is now in basically is in charge of our recruitment department. So <laughs> that's, um, he's having, he's having an incredible career. Uh, that guy, I hope he's good at it. He seems, I mean, he's stayed for eight years working behind the scenes, so I think he must be pretty good at whatever it is he's doing. But anyway, it does now, the club has come down to it's just Angus Kinnear on his own, give or take. And I think that's a sign that it's not only on the pitch that we've, we've missed an opportunity here, but off the pitch as well. Why is there only Angus Kinnear there? Why isn't there a, a proper setup behind the scenes? And when Angus was in here being interviewed and some of the things he would say, I think I've m- mentioned this before, he'd always say that we didn't understand how expensive some things were to do. They were talking about it with the, the stadium recently where everybody was complaining on on Twitter because Michael was being uh, a smart ass and uh, <laughs> unleashed a, um, a, a torrent of people pointing out all the things that they hated about the state of the stadium. And the, the stock response, it was in the the notes of the supporters uh, advisory board meeting is basically Angus Kinnear saying, well, people just don't realise how much it would cost to to sort all these things out. And I was like, well, you've got all the Premier League riches in the world. You've just spent £35 million on Jorginho Rutter. There's money. Spend that money and fix it. Don't just keep bleating on. And it was always about, it was with the, the, the women's team was one where we, and it was going back a long time. We're still in the championship. So it made some sense at that point. But he was like, oh, you don't, it's like um, the running costs of that. I mean, there's only so much that we can we can do. He's like, okay, well, we're in the Premier League now. So where's the investment in that? Because you've got that money now. And if it's, and if you need administrators behind the scenes, if you need a bigger staff, why aren't they there? Yeah. And these things cost peanuts compared to what you spend on a footballer. And the budget just never seems, it just never seems to have filled in these gaps that there's the examples of how, Arsenal have a commercial department with like 200 people working there. They must all be doing stuff that makes money. And then Leeds have a commercial department with like 10. So imagine if you multiplied our commercial department by 20, how good it could be, what could be happening and how much more capable the club would be, how much more money they would be bringing in. And all those things never seem to have happened because there seems to be like this setup cost that they're, they're really feared of. It's oh well, it would cost a lot of money if we if we were to do that kind of thing. Like, well, the irony is, it, I it think help. what Kinnear would say probably, and I can't put words in his mouth, but I would, based on our interactions with him over the last couple of years, he would say that the focus upon coming back up was all on the pitch. It was you all. It was both. And, well, they they identified the first couple of years back up. They needed to go at it quite aggressively with footballers. And that's the irony, you know, contained within it is that it's actually cost us our Premier League status than doing that. If you then, but if you hired more people, you would have people who could concentrate on other things as well. So it could be that having one chief executive in charge of so many different things means, yes, you have to focus on the pitch or off the pitch. But if you bring in more people around you, they can help do the other stuff. And it's, um, and you know, the stadium is, there's been money for certain things because, I mean, the West Stand is always like, it's a point of contention that it's kind of, it's, you know, it's on the verge of falling down. It's horrible. And there are bits in it that are pretty dire. But the bits where Radrizzani and Kinnear and Cole all spend their match days are absolutely beautiful. They're lovely. Plenty of money has been spent there to make that part of the stadium spotless and modern. 
and um, as good as it could possibly be. But there's oh, but we you know we need to concentrate on the pitch when it comes to sorting out the northeast corner or something. We need to concentrate on the pitch. I wonder if you know if Angus is looking around his office at all the em- empty desks surrounding him, thinking I could probably do with some help here. Maybe over, and there will be a a point with the the general inertia of the split ownership as well of like who is responsible for building out the departments that turn leads into a Premier League club. But there's it's it's right across the the board where you see things not being posted on social media because the social media person singular is away. It's kind of it's you know why aren't there more of I was gonna say a lot, a lot of Premier League things. teams have media departments, for example, of, of twelve strong. There's a team of people doing the various platforms and stuff yeah. anyway and you and yeah, and it's like it's long been said. And I don't think it's saying anything offensive about the people who are doing the work there. They're working as hard as they can. Yeah, in that the just the the infrastructure is not there, and it's probably still a championship club behind the scenes. And that's yeah. I think it's worth presenting that as another missed opportunity of being in the Premier League is that we're kind of going back to the Championship with so much of the club just looking the same, and it's it's physically manifested in the way that none of the building work is really started on the stadium. Um, certainly not the expansion. But then that's kind of stands for some of the stuff behind the scenes where that hasn't moved forward in the way that it um, it it could do or it could have done. Some of this is for the new owners to do as well, isn't it? And I would hope that the 49ers, I know, I know 49ers investment isn't the 49ers, but there's certainly overlap of people and you would hope that they would come into Leeds. I mean, I, to be truthful, I would hope they would have already done this, but it hasn't happened. But you would think they would look at it and go, well, we have like hundreds of people doing all these things. Why? Why don't you? The fact we haven't yet is a bit weird. I would almost think I would almost have thought they might have insisted upon it and have, you know, bring in teams of people to do these things. It feels like we've maybe they're just treading water until the ownership changes when they can go. Actually, no, we we want to bring our own people into this. We don't want to have to consult with someone else as to who does this job. The first thing they do, they may get rid of Angus Kidd. It might be the first thing they do. It might be like, thank God, thank God, we're in charge. We can get rid of this guy all, all of a sudden. Complaining about the um, giving his excuses about why toilets uh, are not clean. But, you know, it's, it feels like there's a huge amount of scope there and they surely will not, cannot look at the administrative side of Leeds and think this is this is an, of an elite level. It brings us back to what Moscow was saying about maybe when Radrazani should have cashed out and should this have been done two years ago because the long tail on this takeover has probably hindered a lot of progress in, in terms of putting that structure in because you would imagine, wouldn't you, that they're going to look at it with... You know, regardless of what you think of them as a sporting organisation, they are going to put in a robust structure, aren't they? Surely, because that's what you do if you're sensible. And if you're Radrazani, if your aim has always been to get this thing sold, the most important element of that is maintaining Premier League status. So maybe stuff that you look at that you would invest in if you're going to be here for 10 years, the stuff you look at is very different than if you're going to be here for one year, isn't it? So your investment's completely changed. The fact is we've invested a fair bit in players who are fairly terrible unfortunately so that's why we've gone down but you can kind of see from his point of view why he would want to do that and and maybe why certain areas have been neglected a lot of this comes back to this confusion and it's um where the split it's not just split ownership because aston villa are owned by about four different people who all unlike their ceo is joint owner and like so they're equally confused in terms of who does what and crystal palace as well they have one of their co-owners is wanting to build a network of clubs and then their other co-owner isn't wanting to do that. And so how much money they spend on transfers. So we're not unique in this, but what has been difficult to take from our point of view is if you take Angus Kinnear, uh, if you take Andrea Ratrizzani 
talking to The Athletic last summer, where he's still talking in terms of getting into Europe over the next few seasons. But then at the same time, The Athletic had reported, well, he's he's got a deal in place to sell the club by January 2024. So... And then Victor Orta's doing interviews as well, saying like, yeah, we hope that this season we're going to finish 12th to 14th and then we'll go for 10th to 12th and then we move and then we, the year after that we get top half and then we establish our top half. So you're all going in 18 months according to everything that we're, else that we're hearing. If the 49ers buy another um, 7% of the club, you could all be out, certainly, and Radritzani being the main one, where it's like, you've got a deal to sell this in 18 months. So what am I supposed to do with you talking about three years in the future and where the club is going to be because you aren't even planning to be here. And then if you take that, how that cascades from the top of the club down throughout it all, where it is just like, well, should we hire some more people to do this? It's like, well, don't know if they'll want them in, in 18 months because the boss is off. And it's kind of, oh, no, but he also says that we're going to be doing this. And that confusion and that lack of, I'm going to, there's two Jesse Marshisms that are very appropriate that he's absolutely right to use where he says, clarity, you know, everybody needs to have clarity about what they're doing, be really clear about what they're doing, an alignment where everybody needs to be aligned on exactly what they're doing. And it feels like since that, since we finished ninth, nobody has really understood what is happening next, how long people are going to be here, when somebody else is going to buy it, what is going to be happening on the pitch. And certainly, I was saying the other week that it felt like when Bielsa got sacked and then they've got this plan for, for Marsh. But too much of that felt like just getting rid of Bielsa was then going to solve a lot of the problems um, that they thought they had and didn't really seem to work out that way. And having put so much into into thinking Jesse Marsh would be the, the long-term answer for talking to him for two years or whatever, once that didn't happen, they were just, you know, the, the swiftness with which Marsh turned up after Bielsa was never replicated once they got rid of Marsh because the nearer you get to the deadline of the 49ers apparently buying it out, I suppose the hazier ideas and plans become so yeah they fucked it really <laughs> well that brings us around to the the playing side so we will pause there um, end of part one of the relegation discussion um, we're going to talk in part two about the playing side the fact that um, Junior Furpo, Robin Cock, Brendan Aronson and Patrick Bamford were named in the statistically worst team of the season by uh, by Sofa Score and um, maybe try and figure out a way forward with our player of the year award that we've been talking about on the on the weekly show because the numbers are in and we're not quite sure what to do with them so we need your help with it so look out for that in your audio and video feed as well it'll be along shortly we'll see you soon the square ball podcast 